Welcome to episode 38 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we're going to talk about Fargo from 1996, which was nominated for a total of seven Oscars at the 69th Academy Awards. Joel and Ethan, Ethan Cohen won for Best Screenplay, while uh, Joel's wife, Frances McDormand, won for Best Actress in a Lead Role. Now, it's, uh, it's, it's actually Friday, uh, 4.30 p.m. here in uh, San Antonio, Texas. And we have just now kind of uh, gone on our feet <laughs> yeah. uh, in this part of the state. Um, it's, been, it's been an interesting week for sure. And uh, I, I want to just speak as a, as a Texan, as someone who's lived here most of my life, that I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty disappointed in uh, our handling of, you know, this weather. Uh, a lot of other states probably are confused. You know, what's, why can't you guys, you know, handle a winter storm? Because we're Texas. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in 1989, there was a very harsh winter storm. And apparently, you know, people are learning now that after that, they just didn't do anything about it. They're like, oh, whatever. It won't happen again. You know, we won't have a winter that bad again. Well, guess what? This is the worst winter that we've had. Uh, you know, from people, you know, losing, losing their homes. I know some people that, uh, you know, the, the water pipes burst and then there ended up being a fire because of some gas shortages and uh, the whole apartment building burnt down to the ground. That's right here, you know, a few miles away from where Connor and I are at. Um, you know, crazy stuff, people not able to show up to work, this or that, being stuck at home, losing power, losing water. It's not a fun situation for a lot of people. And, uh, for myself, I've kind of had to jump from different place to different place because at my apartment, where I'm at now, uh, I didn't have power for four days and didn't have water for three days. And so I was kind of jumping around to my girlfriend's mom's apartment and then my, my dad's house. And, you know, you and I were keeping up with each other every day. Like, you all right, man? You, you, you surviving? Like, I, there's, there's no way to go get food. You know, Texas was not prepared for what we just went through. And as we come out, sort of come out of it, you know, here on Friday and, you know, tomorrow, uh, for Saturday and, you know, going into Sunday, it's supposed to clear up a lot. People are supposed to be able to get back on the roads and start going back to work and all, all this and that, uh, you know, you know, I'm just, I'm never going to forget this week and I'm never going to forget that our leaders in Texas just didn't do their jobs. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to say that as a Texan, um, again, I've lived here for almost all of my life. I've lived in a few other places, but mostly Texas and mostly San Antonio. And I've, ne I've never been more disappointed in, in my leadership within my state. Uh, you know, we got Ted Cruz going to Cancun, Mexico for vacation while we're going through this. It's, it's quite frustrating, uh, these things that are happening. So I wanted to open up with that. You know, we're going to be talking a lot about Fargo today, which is interesting because it has a lot of snow in it. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the Coen brothers, Roger Deakins, you know, Franny McDormand, you know, these people who are heavily involved in this movie, but I, I thought it'd be silly if I didn't share those feelings that I've had uh, throughout this week and give people some perspective on what, what Texas have gone, Texans have gone through, uh, because yeah, it was a winter storm and it's not like we, it's not like we're wimpy and can't handle being outside or something. It's, it's when you can't sleep because it's 40 degrees in your house. Because uh, nothing works. It's when you don't have water to take a shower. You know, you don't have water to, to drink. It's when your pipes burst and flood your whole apartment or flood your whole house. You know, it's, it's those things that our state was not prepared for. Uh, so I, I, I've seen a lot of stuff where people are just like, they just don't understand. 
you know, as outsiders, maybe people, people from the North, they just don't quite understand. I think it's good to have context and perspective. Uh, do you have anything you want to add, Connor? I think what hurt the most, I mean, apart from our just complete lack of leadership and the Texas government lining their pockets with, you know, by just completely avoiding winterizing the state. Yeah. Uh, all these tweets about people saying like, well, they voted Trump. So let Texas die. I've seen a lot of that. And I want you guys to, rem- I want you to know that mo- a lot of us did not vote Republican. A lot of us would never vote Republican after all this shit. So just don't lump us in with those assholes. Like a lot of us are just trying to you know our hardest to get by here. And there's nothing we can do beyond, you know, just wait. And, you know, I just keep in mind that we're innocent in this. <laughs> yes. This is Indivi- not there's a, there's a lot- Like, just keep that in mind. <laughs> a lot of individual citizens, yeah, are, are innocent in this and are just trying to figure out what to do. Uh, I, I, I do feel, you know, a lot more positive about the situation now. You know, it's the sun's out and snow is melting, all that, all that good stuff. And people are, you know, starting to get their power back. And that's the main thing is that they can start heating up food and feeding their children and whatnot. Um, and, you know, hopefully this is a, this is a wake up call. You know, these are the things that need to happen, obviously for people to wake up uh, as sad as it may be. That's, that's just how it has to be, I guess, right now. And I guess uh, you, like you said, f- our fellow Texans, we got to realize, you know, realize, realize that the, the leaders do have something to say here, you know, and like you said, line in their pockets, not by <laughs> simply not choosing to uh, winterize the state is, is crazy. So uh, it, you know where Connor and I are at. Uh, you know where the whole film gasm team is at. Um, pretty much all of us live in Texas except for Josh, and you know where Josh is at. And uh, yeah, we 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 are trying to move forward and trying to change that kind of stigma about our state all being Republican and Trump supporters because that's just that's definitely not true here. <laughs> God no, I would no. Mm-mm. Oh man. Um, also today, today is Friday. Nomadland is coming out today. Yes. Francis, Francis McDormand. That's kind of why we chose uh, Fargo. You know, she gets the Oscar win for, for, for playing Marge and is just an unbelievable performance. And a lot of people have her kind of slotted in already as winning best actress at the uh, Golden Globes and Oscars for her role in Nomadland. And that's coming out on Hulu today. You know, like you could watch the, You could have already watched it, you know, and I'm going to watch it tonight. I'm super excited. And it's going to become kind of a Franny McDormand week. Uh, weekend here at, here with Filmgasm. You know, this this episode's on Sunday. You know, tomorrow we're going to talk about Nomadland. You know, really give it a go. Uh, and I'm, I'm super excited, man, because she's a legend. Hell yeah. She's an amazing actress. And she's been with the Coen brothers since the beginning. And yes. Not, I mean, she's been with a Coen brother, but she's also <laughs> been with, you know, the ensemble since the beginning with Blood yes. Simple. And she's been there for almost, like, for a good chunk of their films. And outside of the Coen brothers, you know, she's also just an incredible actress and an incredible activist and a very upstanding and uh, like an actress and a woman to look up to. She's a role model. And uh, I respect the hell out of Frances McDormand. I'm yeah. Every role I see of hers is just lights out. Oh yeah. She's, she's unbelievable. She, she has, she has an ability to, to play, to play badass, uh, not like men even know how to, um, <laughs> she, she's able to kind of grab you, grab the audience by the balls, like some of the greatest legends of all time, you know, in, in cinema, you know, 
she has the same kind of, you know, when she stares at you and pierces through you, it's, it's kind of like, Oh, it reminds you of the greats like Marlon Brando, even, you know, you're like, damn, she really has it. Yeah. Not, not sure. You know, we all talk about that. It's cliche, but it, it's true with her. There's probably like 30 people that you can say that about. And she's, she's one of them. And the, you know, the Academy thinks so too, <laughs> you know, she's, she's been nominated a handful of times. We're going to go through those, you know, talk about her wins. You know, she's going for her third win. Uh, yeah. At this, at this, at this show, that's special territory. Uh, not a lot of women and men have have gotten to three awards, have gone to three wins. Uh, you know, the guys that come to mind: Daniel Day Lewis, Jack Nicholson. Uh, you know, you got Catherine Hepburn who has four. You got Meryl Streep who has three. Uh, who else have we got out there? Uh, that might be it. Who else uh, has three? Three, wi- three or more wins for acting. That might be it. Uh... Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid. Yeah. Ingrid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good call. Cause we, yeah, we just did gaslight. What a yeah. great film. Brando's only got two. Uh, Bogey's just got the one I'm trying to go like farther back. Charles Daniel Day Lewis, Wal- Walter, Walter Brennan, Walter Brennan. Okay. No, that's dude. That's uh, there's only one, two, three, four, five, six. Six people. We got them all, man. Catherine Hepburn, Meryl Streep, Jack Nicholson, Ingrid Bergman, Daniel Day-Lewis, Walter Brennan. We're fucking good at this, man. We're getting, like, we're, ah. <laughs> trying. We're, tr- we're trying to get there. And, you know, Frances McDormand's trying to get in there, too. <laughs> She's trying to get into that group. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> That's amazing. She could do it. If anybody could do it, if anybody could get the hat trick, she can. Well, when, know. and she's, she, she would enter a Mount Rushmore of women, Meryl Streep, Catherine Hepburn, Ingrid Bergman, and Frances McDormand. God, doesn't that just sound right? Just, I have chills, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that four yeah. greats, four all-time greats right there. That makes perfect sense to me. Totally okay with it. And you know who's going to be there soon is Viola Davis. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I love looking at that kind of stuff, you know, just kind of seeing seeing where the, the kind of stats are almost. And Because Frances McDormand is one of those people who's in that kind of weird territory so i do want to start with her you know this is a coen brother movie like you said you know she's married to joel they've been married since 1984 blood simple (laughs) and you know like you said goes on to kind of beat you know raising arizona you know is in all these movies going into the 90s and into the 2000s you know like one of my personal favorites is burn after reading she's just she's so good in that (laughs) like so good oh yeah she's great but for me i mean with her coen performances i raising arizona is the one i quote the most often you know he's an angel straight from heaven like all that stuff. and it's just it's always a joy to see her because you know that she's just going to elevate whatever she's in even the like that even the shitty transformers movie she was in for like a second it got a little better <laughs> it, yes it, it heightened for just just a moment it's kind of like when i'll bring up viola davis again when she's in suicide squad you're like oh okay this makes sense <laughs> uh, oh yeah and she's gonna you know elevate the new one she's one of the few pieces they kept from 2016's film and i'm sure you know with james gunn's writing she's gonna make waller pop like never before so hell yeah yeah i can't wait for that yeah man she yeah she's another one of those women that will totally get her own kind of episode at some point that she's just pretty breathtaking uh franny franny mcdormand she's got uh the the nomination for best actress in a supporting role mississippi burning that came out in 1988 we got Fargo, which of course we're going to be talking about a lot. She got the win there for Best Actress in a Lead Role. We have uh, Best Actress in a Supporting Role nomination for Almost Famous, 
which came out in 2000. We have North Country. She's nominated for, again, Best Actress in a Supporting Role. That came out in 2005. Uh, and then she wins just a few years ago for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri uh, for Best Actress in a Lead Role. What of those have you seen? Um, I've seen all but North Country and Mississippi Burning. Okay. And of yeah. course, yeah, of course, of course, you're going to watch Nomadland, which everybody kind of already has in that in that slot, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I own North Country. I think I think you'd like that one a lot. I, I, you know, thought about doing it this week, but there was no way for us to <laughs> for us to. I had no to way to do up. any prep for this episode beyond Fargo. <laughs> it, exactly. Same same here. Uh, there's not a lot I could do either. Uh, Almost Famous is a movie we're, we're both very familiar with, but uh, Mississippi Burning. That's that's the one I also have not seen. Um, that one's tough to swallow because I've heard that's a rough film. I, I've heard it. Yeah, I, I've heard it's something that people like you and I are just kind of obsessed with this stuff. We just kind of have to see it at some point, you know, yeah. uh, let, just alone the, the cast, Gene Hackman, Willem Dafoe, Francis McDormand, Brad Dourif is in that. Uh, it's, it's pretty bonkers. And I'm kind of, that's one of those movies I think I've talked about on this show or one of our shows through Filmgasm is uh, that there's like an ever, never ending list of movies that I know I need to see in the back of my head. Yeah. And they just kind of, they kind of bounce around and th- th- that's one of them, <laughs> you know, uh, Mystic of Burning is high up on that list for sure. And I, I feel that way about a lot of movies, but that one, I, that one, I'm kind of like, what am I doing? You know, I should probably just carve out some time tomorrow <laughs> to, to go ahead and see that. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. They've been on my list for you know years. I, it's an ongoing, I mean, I just watched North by Northwest yesterday for the first time. So some of these films, you know, just take a long time to finally you know, have the effort to put on and yeah, eventually I will get there on. And to be fair, a lot of this stuff, I am waiting on first, you know, are we going to do it on the show? Should I wait yeah. till I have my initial response, my initial th- feelings for the show? It's like, should I wait and savor it? A lot of that has happened. <laughs> well, well, yeah, exactly. And you and I both would have watched this if we would have been able to, you know, uh, we just didn't have, it didn't have time or power or whatever. <laughs> whatever it may be. And yeah. we were not able to watch Mississippi burning. So that's, that kind of sucks, but it'll come back around. It, it surely will come back around. Um, I obviously said Fargo is the win, the first win. Let's talk about our second win. Cause I think, I think that movie has had an interesting um, lifespan already. It's just been a little under four years that it's been, been a film and been kind of in the history books is a uh, three billboards. I, I saw this in theaters at, uh, at embassy and I thought it was pretty wonderful the first time I saw it. And then I remember reading some reviews and I, I understood some of the backlash and about the Sam Rockwell character, but at the same time, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge French connection fan. I, I, you know, and Gene Hackman's nasty in that movie. I like when a cop is nasty because cops are sometimes nasty. Yeah. And, uh, and so three billboards, it has, it's had some interesting, you know, like negativity going towards it. Oh, like, of course, this is up for a bunch of Oscars, but I think it's a pretty damn good movie. I do too. I saw it at Draft House Park North, uh, and I went in expecting it to be a comedy because Martin McDonagh's two other films, In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths, were straight up comedy. So I assumed this was also going to be a comedy. And while it had some comedic flavor sometimes, it is very much drama. And I did get sucked in and I thought, this is, this is really good. I thought this was going to take Best Picture that year. I think Shape of Water beat it, right? That year? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> get out. Get out. Yeah. Ugh, it was a loaded year. Get, and 
I love Guillermo del Toro, but no, sorry. I, I, I think people just watched, if, if people have just watched Judas and the Black Messiah, they're reminded like, God, God damn, you know, he should have won best actor and, <laughs> and fucking get out should have won everything. You know, that was the best movie that year. <laughs> Three billboards is a movie. I mean, it takes place in a small town in Missouri. You're gonna have racist cops. Exactly. That, it's a realistic depiction of what that town would have. I love the idea of a mother taking charge of the investigation of her daughter's murder and calling the cops out and not doing enough. I think that's a great idea. And Francis McDormand was perfectly cast as the mother who would make that decision. And I can't sing praises enough for her performances in that, for her performance in that movie. She 100% deserved that Oscar. And yeah, I, that's a film I have not watched enough. And I would like to watch that again. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen it. I think just the, yeah, I've just seen it twice. I watched it at home. Uh, it was, it was on, it was on the HBO cycle at one point. It might still be, um, uh, you know, Fran, Franny is unbelievable, but you got really good stuff from Woody Harrelson from with a character that doesn't make like total sense, but I, I kind of like it. Sam Rockwell, Caleb Landry Jones, Lucas Hedges, like, this is a cool <laughs> cast. Amanda Warren uh, works at the store with Francis McDormand. I, I, I like this movie. Yeah. I understand. I understand it being like a, another white movie, <laughs> but like uh, some, sometimes I, I think, especially with a guy like Marty McDonough, you know, he's, he's a, he's a pretty talented dude who's obviously willing to take it to different genres. And I, I like this one. I think it's aged better than people want to give it credit for. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's, you know, just calling it a white movie, I think is simplifying things. I think it's a film yeah. about, you know, a broken family, a film about, you know, cops trying to find their way back. I think there's a lot in that movie that keeps it from just being labeled as just another white movie. Agreed. And Agreed. Yeah. 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 I think we, yeah. really, we need to like, you know, I know this is oversimplifying big time and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not making any, you know, big declaration here, but in my own t- experience, at least I try to just block out those kinds of thoughts when I'm watching a movie and just kind of see the film for what it is kind of, you know, try to like, don't pigeonhole people by just race, but I try to find a way to describe them better. Like instead of just calling, you know, Sam Rockwell, racist white cop, maybe he's a, you know, a struggling cop in a small town who's trying to overcome that shit. Maybe that, you know, I don't know. I just think it's, it's more fun and more educational to view things like that. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a bit more challenging, you know, to, to take, to take things in with like multiple perspectives, not just like a narrow, not just a narrow one. Yeah. I agree. And that goes with, that goes with kind of, kind of everything in art, right. Especially with movies, especially with movies. (laughs) I, I, I get caught up in my own, um, my own bias sometimes, uh, especially when I'm watching new stuff, like 2021 stuff or, or, you know, you know, some stuff that's coming out right now, sometimes I'll be real harsh on it or just not, not give that chance to kind of breathe. And so I, I think I have work to do always in my kind of just, uh, like stepping back for a minute, uh, step back. And that, that's also when I praise something a lot, you know, when like you just throw all the praise onto it without doing your own research. I think it's always good to step back if you love or dis or love or hate something. I think that's, I think it's always good to do that. Yeah. I straight up did that to myself when we did the Malcolm and Marie on the sneak preview, I praised it without really knowing what it was about. And I just, I, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I, yeah. And I, I also threw a lot of daggers at it and maybe, maybe some of those daggers were too harsh, but 
some of them I stand by <laughs> heavily. I, I stand by them heavily. I would actually, you know, thinking about it more, I think I gave it a seven. And I, I don't think that was like totally honest. It's more of a six in my mind. <laughs> and I've, I've, I've thought that for sure. I've had many, many conversations about that movie with, with people. And it's, it's a divisive one for sure. But uh, the Coens, Fargo, how is this the first movie that they're into the Oscars with? Like, you, you know, we're, we're passing up, you know, I mean, two of my personal favorites, you know, Raising Arizona and Barton Fink and Miller's Crossing, you know, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, you get into kind of dangerous territory when you're just deflecting those movies. <laughs> yeah. It's actually surprising how, how little Oscar attention the Coens have gotten over the years. Like, I think like very few, I think for like actually directing or writing, it was just Fargo, Oh Brother, uh, No Country and True Grit. I, mean, I don't think they've a really serious, got... a serious man. Oh, yep. Serious man. And I think Buster Struggs got them a screenplay nod, didn't it? Correct. And Joel helped write Bridge of Spies. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I wanted to mention that because I totally forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> that movie just kind of vanished. I mean, it was mm-hmm. good, but I have not like gone back at all. Maybe, maybe we should, man. Maybe that, that'd be a, I, I don't think I've seen it since uh, theaters. And I have a lot of you know mixed thoughts. I think that I don't think Mark Rylance should have taken Best Supporting Actor for that. I think it was Sly's turn. I think he should have taken that for Creed. But oh man, you know, that's yeah. a whole other conversation. But yeah, I think considering the Cohen's body of work prior to '96, Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink. I mean, those are four amazing films. <laughs> yeah, like knockouts. Yeah. And the only Oscar nomination in there is Best Supporting Actor for Michael Lerner for Barton Fink. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, nothing, nothing for the Coens. Yeah. And he's good, but he's not the guy who should have gotten a nomination from that movie. It should have been John Goodman. Oh, and, and Albert Finney and Miller's Crossing? Like, oh, what the yeah. fuck? John Polito and Miller's Crossing. Yeah. I mean, fucking hell, that movie should be like, you know, solid gold. But I don't know. It's not a lot of people know about it. It's weird. It's like their secret masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, and, and you and I are both massive fans of uh, Raising Arizona. Uh, that one is a, is a film that just is going to take a minute for people to get it. And I, I understand. I understand that one getting it's so wacky. You know, it is it is beyond beyond me how, how awesome that movie is. I, I really I really, really adore it. And it's definitely a like for me, certified in my personal top five. It's it's always going to be in there. I, I love that one. It's a masterpiece, straight up. The more I look at the Coens, the more I am impressed by their ability to tell stories. Is I found out about their writing process, and it's just mind-boggling that anybody can write like that. But the way they do it is they write a scene, and then they build off of that. They think of another scene that could go with that. They never have a plan on any film they've ever written. They just go in blind and hope that they come up with something interesting. They wrote uh, Barton Fink when they got stuck with Miller's Crossing and they wrote The Big Lebowski when they got stuck with Barton Fink. <laughs> I mean, for God's sake, that's amazing. I, I wish I had a shred of the storytelling talent these guys had. <laughs> and and the, the thing I'm most jealous of as a it's a silly word to use but but uh, but it is it's a legitimate thing i feel when i watch someone just do something over and over and over again almost at masterpiece level you could say eight times these guys 
you know, there's an argument for that many and uh, the, their filmography. You know, uh, the thing, the thing I am, you know, yeah, I'm just I, I envy their ability to get people on board. Oh yeah, like, like the Big Lebowski. You know, they they knew they knew what was going to happen with that one. You know, they just came off of Fargo. This kind of you know, this hour and thirty minute, just bam, just fucking clean cut awesome awesome thriller cop thriller you know it's just it's almost perfect you know it's like anybody can watch this and be entertained and you follow with big lebowski it's very bizarre movie but you just you look at like the people that are giving the performances in it and they're just as good you know jeff bridges is there john goodman's there julian moore is there these people are just as good and they're they're giving at just as much attention to the screenplay as the people were in fargo or miller's crossing and that that blows my mind when creators, writers, directors like Joel and Ethan can get people to just get on board for their idea. Like a hundred percent. It's not, it's very rarely half-assed and when it is, it shows. Yeah. And those are, those are like the weaker movies. Yeah. But these ones that we're kind of, you know, we're mentioning here and we're going to talk about as we go through uh, the ones that you mentioned uh, that they're nominated for, it's, it, they all have, <laughs> they all have an argument for being a masterpiece. And then you throw in the ones that are not Oscar nominated, like Raising Arizona and Big Lebowski. And it gets, it gets a little overwhelming. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. These guys are, how important are these guys in the long, you know, in the long run of history of filmmakers? How important are these guys? Well, I think a big part of that is their incredible ability to write characters. Because yes. what they can do is they're, I've heard the expression, there's no small characters, only small actors. Mm. And the Coens exemplify that better than anybody. Like they can bring, mm. you know, have Steve Buscemi be essentially the bad guy of Fargo and then have him just be Walter's weird friend for a couple scenes. In the yes. Yes. Like, that's amazing that he can, like, Buscemi knows that these guys are going to write him a solid, meaty character, regardless of screen time. And that's why people keep coming back to them because they know that they are going to get to play somebody interesting. Yes, that's 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 exactly it, you know, is that consistency of bringing flavor to everybody on the screen. And that's that's like my favorite thing that they've offered to cinema is is that constant, consistent entertainment. And, uh, you know, obviously, we're both huge fans. We we did a what was it episode 25 on Filmgasm. We did a yeah. big old big old Cohen, you know, episode where we basically just went down the line, you know, of all their movies and. We can't, we can't quite do that here today, but we're going to reference all of them, you know, because that's how we are. We're huge fans. You know, there's a, there's a book that I'm still haven't finished reading uh, called, uh, it's called This Book Ties the, Bo- Ties the Movies Together uh, by Adam Naiman. It's just about, you know, all the Cohen bonanza, you know, and all these movies. And when I, you know, when I read him, this super passionate guy who's in his, you know, I think he's in his 40s talking about the Coens and, you know, he lived through a lot of these movies, went to see him in theaters. It just rejuvenates me completely and i i love meeting people from different generations that are cohen fans uh i know when i met some of your family it was like oh this is really cool because they know the cohen's like they really know the cohen's <laughs> oh yeah i'm third generation cohen fan like i grew up with the with the with the cohen brothers films so yeah of course <laughs> yeah well well let's let's talk about some of the the oscar nominated ones you know of course fargo is up for uh for, for the cohen's you know just talking about their nominations yeah. best film editing best director uh, they won for best screenplay for Fargo. You have best screenplay for Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Ah. That was just a nomination. Yeah. You have No Country for Old Men nominated for best film editing. You have winner for best adapted screenplay. 
winner for best directing and winner for best picture. Oh yeah. That's a, uh, it's a pretty good movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. And it, you know, it's the best picture winner. So it will, it will happen here. It's that one's hard. You know, that's an episode that like is like, I can like see the barrel staring at me because it's, because it's there will be blood versus no country. And, and Zodiac, Zodiac, my, maybe my favorite of the three got the boot. And I, I cannot wait to have that conversation and really, really figure out which one I like better between no country and there'll be blood because I don't know. <laughs> it's so difficult. You know, you got my guy PTA and my, 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 my homies, the Coens, and they, there's that awesome story that I've brought up. I know multiple times on, on, on the podcast is when they're both filming in Texas and they, you know, the sets could almost fucking see each other. And Oh my God, <laughs> that's, that's crazy stuff. And I, I, I love both those movies and I cannot wait to do a best picture showdown based around no country because that probably is their, their masterpiece. It, it probably is. You know, I think big Lebowski is my favorite kind of always will be, but I think no country breaks through something totally different and totally special. Uh, and I, I love that it got the crown, you know, got the best picture crown. That's really cool. I loved when they went up cause they, they won for screenplay and then later on they won for director and I don't remember which one said it, but they were kind of like, oh, we don't really have much else to say. So uh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we didn't know this was going to happen. Normally you guys don't do this. So we wrote yeah. one speech and we gave it. So see ya. <laughs> kind, of, kind, kind of like what happened to Bong Joon-ho with Parasite. Yeah. That's awesome. Great. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Yeah. That, that'll be obviously a killer episode. Picking, um, picking uh, Inyo Morcone award for that movie is quite impossible. Yeah, we might have to do something creative there because there is no score. What, what, what I think we could do for that is uh, maybe, you know, because the because obviously there's a lot of sounds in the movie that are very important. Maybe we can find a, you know, something that we dig within the, you know, sound mixing of the movie. Because, yeah, there's there's quite frankly not a soundtrack or a score. So that's one of the special things about it that, it you know, Francis Ha can be filmed in black and white. Well, No Control Men's going to do no music. You know, it's like it's kind of a, it's a niche thing. It's cool. I like it course and you know i also love that it's a movie filmed in texas it's a movie that highlights texas and you know being uh i call myself an honorary texan it's it's a good feeling oh yeah i i love movies that capture texas in the uh in 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 a very specific way i don't like when they try to you know capture every different part of texas i like when a movie tackles something about texas yeah. And no country for no country for old men goes into a specific place and a very specific story. And I, I adore that. You know, I could even, you know, bring up something like Daisy Confused. It's very honed in, very focused on a group of people in this city at this school. And that's it. You know, it's not trying to say anything else uh, about other places in Texas because, because it is such a huge state and there's so many different little pockets of culture. Yeah. A lot of people forget that. If you're not from Texas, you don't get that. You know, it's not all just cowboys in the Alamo. There's a lot of different things happening in Texas, a lot of different stories. And I like when we can hone in on just one of those and no country does that so well. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, the next movie that they make that's uh, Oscar worthy <laughs> is a, a serious man. Uh, this is, this is, you know, my, my third favorite Cohen movie of all time behind big Lebowski, no country for old men. I, I find a serious man to be uh, from 2009 
to be pretty moving. It was nominated for, uh, they were nominated for screenplay and then it was nominated for best picture. Uh, it's probably their most subtle uh, movie that I like love, you know, um, they've done plenty of subtle movies or movies that have like a subtlety to it. But this is the one that I like get the most. I understand, I connect with, and I laugh at so much. You know, I, I have I have a blast with this one, and it's it's one of those movies I have a very hard time figuring out why I like why it brings me to tears. You know, it's like what what like <laughs> when it ends, I'm like, why was I so moved by that? What what is the deal there? Why does it just kind of pour over me like a wave? I don't, I don't know what it is. I still haven't figured it out. That's why I keep rewatching it. Uh, I find that one to be for me personally, a masterpiece, but I totally understand people who don't like quite dig it as much as the other stuff, you know? Well, I've only seen it once, so I really don't have uh, a, like a really emotional connection to it. But a big thing with the Coens is you need to see these films multiple times. If that's true, one watch is not going to cover it with a Coen brothers movie. I mean, it took me a good, you know, I didn't really like Blood Simple the first time I saw it. Second or third time, I think it's one of their smartest films. So you you need to have multiple ways of watching these films, multiple viewpoints, multiple trains of thought, or else you might you probably won't like them. It's very complex storytelling. And A Serious Man is one of those films. I watched it once and I'm like, all right, it's pretty good. And I'm, I think if I watch it again, I'm going to see something else in it. Because that's what ha- that is what happened every single time I've watched this Coen Brothers movie. A second time so yeah. yeah that's just my advice on that front I, I i think i pretty much wholeheartedly agree there because i was just while you were saying that i was kind of you know racking my brain and i i immediately thought about raising arizona the first time i watched that i was like huh and then the second time i was like holy shit this is one of the funniest movies i've ever seen in my life yeah <laughs> and and it it can do that Lebowski hit me right away. <laughs> that hit me right away too. <laughs> I, I was a, I was a little bit older than most people when I first saw it. Sometime in middle school, you know, fourteen or so, and I was just like, just like pulverized by it, like immediately. I thought it was just genius, you know. But I I think you have a serious point there. Even even No Country, I remember liking it, but then the second time being like, oh yeah, like. We got something here, you know, yeah. the, the attention to Josh Brolin's fucking the sound of his boots on the sidewalk as he's being chased by Harvey R. Bardem, you know, just lights out stuff, lights out. Uh, I just realized with Fargo, I've seen it so many times. I just realized that it's something new. I learned about it, that at when there's 30 minutes left in the movie, Steve Buscemi, Carl actually says, let's wrap this thing up 30 minutes. Like, <laughs> like what <laughs> I, I, rewarding for uh for viewers and they, they do that over and over and that's i think you have a serious point there with uh re-watching not i don't think everyone every director is like that but the coens are kind of specific for that yeah for sure i'm just thinking love, like, it. I, love it i haven't uh laughed harder in my life than the first time i heard Walter Subject yell, this is what happens when you fuck a stranger yes. in the ass. <laughs> and then beat the shit out of the neighbor's Corvette. <laughs> yeah, God. Larry? Oh, God. Yeah, you, you just just the sheer amount of him saying fuck. Uh, I was just, yeah, I was laughing my ass off as a teenager <laughs> at that, for sure. Uh, with, with a serious man, you know, 
Michael Stuhlbarg, Richard Kind, they're both they're both spectacular in that movie. And I, I, I highly suggest if you haven't seen it and we'll certainly bring it up whenever we do a best picture showdown for the Hurt Locker. Yeah. 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 So that'll, that'll be great. You know, which is a Catherine Bigelow movie and she's the first female to win best director, which is a damn shame that it took that long. But I would love to do the Hurt Locker because I've only seen that twice. Um, and 2009 is a fascinating year because you also have Inglorious Bastards which is definitely a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nine is interesting. Cause I've, I haven't seen the hurt locker in education or the blind side, but I've seen the rest of those nominees. Well, I haven't seen education, but the blind side, you, you can, you can skip that one. That one's to give you context on that. You remember when we did the 1960 episode uh, based around the apartment, we had Elmer Gantry. Oh yeah. You remember the sundowners? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like that would that's what the blind side is in comparison to those other movies. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. That movie, that movie sucks compared to it sucks anyway, but then compared to Bastards, a serious man, and Hurt Locker, get out of town, you know? It's not even close. Well, in good faith, I can't skip it, but I get what no, you, yeah, you I understand. No, what no, you're I saying. no, I know. <laughs> but I want to tell you that before you start watching it, because then you'll be like, you'll know, oh, Austin hates this. <laughs> I, I thought I thought it was just a just kind of a, a shitty shitty movie overall like story whatever like I thought they bent the rules a lot with that story and then just like as a movie I also didn't like it so you know it was kind of double whammy ah damn but this next one I know you do like from 2010 oh yes oh yes this is this is one that I think you you feel pretty strongly about that'd be that'd be True Grit which True uh, Grit. they were they were nominated for best screenplay. Best director, and then it was also nominated for best picture. Take it away. Oh my God. True Grit is a fun fucking movie. That is a, you know, it's a remake of a shitty John Wayne Western that brings something to the table. Uh, we personally, uh, we know an actor from the film. I won't say that. I won't say who it is, but we, we've had an actor in the film uh, over for, you know, drinks and parties and stuff. And he's done some projects uh, with my family. Cool guy. Um, it's a film that was one of the first Westerns I really like paid attention to. Uh, the first Western I ever saw in my life, not counting back to the future three is 2007's 310 to Yuma, which was awesome and got yes. me thinking about Westerns. And then I moved to Texas and then I saw true grit and I'm like, Oh, that's what they meant by Western. <laughs> and the, the courthouse they filmed at is right down the street from my house in Blanco, Texas. And it's just such a great movie. It's such a great movie about, you know, like a one last ride kind of movie and mm-hmm. finding yourself. And it's, it's a badass movie and the cast is so good. It's 2010. That was the King's speech, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome year because social network and, and true grit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I think true grit had a, had a chance there. I, I Me love, too. yeah, I love this. Movie. I love Jeff Bridges in this movie. I love Josh Brolin, Matt Damon, Haley Steinfeld. They all fucking killed it. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a gem for sure. Yeah, that, let me look up the other movies that are that year. Do you have any guesses? Uh, I want to say maybe the kids are all right. I think that was that year. Ooh, that might yeah, that might be one of them. Let's see, King's Speech is what one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel really strongly about uh, Social Network, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I think that's going to be a really really interesting episode when we do one around King's Speech because, yeah. like you said, True Grit has something to say. Uh, the others are oh man, we got we got quite a few. Oh, Toy Story 3, duh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Winter's Bone, mm-hmm. Social Network, Kids Are All Right, Inception, The Fighter, 
Black Swan and 127 Hours. Damn, I have not seen most of those. <laughs> I've wow. seen all, all of them. Yeah, I've seen all of those. Yeah. Nice. I, uh, I, I, some of those I don't care too much about. You know, I'm not a big fan of Inception. Winter's Bone was a bit forgettable. 127 Hours, I think, is, is all right. Black Swan, I love. Uh, the Fighters got good moments. You know, Melissa Leo and Christian Bale, they, that's all I need. I'm not too fond of uh, the Wahlberg, Amy Adams, like love story, but I'm really into it when it's Melissa Leo and Christian Bale. <laughs> They're both just like freak of nature performers. Uh, that'll be a fascinating episode. Uh, I didn't realize. Yeah. I, I forget with these, uh, you know, the, the, you know, this recent decade, there's a lot of them that have nine or 10 nominations. Yeah. Cause they just kind of opened the floodgates and nominated yeah. everything. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Whereas like a lot of the ones we've done, we've, we've gotten used to it being five movies. Uh, you know, we went back and did 1979 best picture showdown, 1960, you know, we're kind of used to like that just being five. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to do one of those. Uh, I, I remember doing moonlight and you and I had seen so many of them that it was just such an easy conversation. Yeah. I think I just had to cross fences and lion off my list, but the rest of them I was very familiar with. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, I, I, I had seen them all going to an episode and it was kind of like you and I just were talking at lunch or something. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just an, another day, you know, uh, that's, that's what we do. But tr- True Grit, obviously, we feel pretty passionately about and that'll be something that we'll highlight on that episode whenever we get to do it. That's, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, oh, yeah. I love, I love looking at these things, you know, because then we get excited for, <laughs> for future episodes. It's fantastic. Wonderful. Bridge of Spies. Mm. Bridge of Spies, a movie we we forgot about. Uh, he was nominated, Joel Cohen. And then that would that would be in 2015. And then in 2018, you have Ballad of Buster Scruggs, where they're nominated for Best Screenplay. And that's it. That that's the end of the road for for the Cohen's personal, you know, Oscar nominations and wins. Um, you know, like you said, there's not a lot, not a ton of films actually represented there for them to. Yeah. When it, when it comes down to their whole filmography, but, but there's some damn good movies right there. Yeah, it's great. It's a great lineup. I mean, I've rarely walked away from a Coen Brothers film disappointed. I think the only one that really I have not desired to go back to at all is Hail Caesar. Yeah, that one has a few things. I, I, I love the cast so much. And I think, I think that one does require a, like a couple rewatches because that one's like all over the place. That was, I did not dig it. I saw it after work at Draft House one day with a buddy and we were both kind of like, this is terrible. This is boring. Milkshake's good, but this is boring. <laughs> I, just was, I, was, I was really hoping for more. With a cast like that, I wanted it to be so much better and it had such potential and I just feel like they went in a very weird direction with it. Uh, and then the other film that I just fucking hated was a film they wrote for George Clooney called Suburbicon. Oh, yeah. With the amount of talent behind that movie, I cannot figure out why it sucks so bad. I mean, you've got a Coen Brothers screenplay. You've got Clooney directing. You've got Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, Oscar Isaac. Like, what the fuck happened? That movie was terrible. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, that's, that's a good one to point out. The Lady Killers, I'm not a huge fan of, but it's okay. It's okay. It's, so, it, it's, it's just when we're talking about these other ones, you know, like, Inside Lewin Davis and Burn After Reading. Uh, 
what else we got here? Uh, the man who wasn't there. Oh brother. Uh, Hudsucker proxy. Like these are awesome, awesome movies. I, I just don't think the lady killers is as strong, but still it's fine. It's still fine. Some people would be their best fucking movie. So, <laughs> but how, how telling is that of their skills that the lady killers, which is a decent flick is on their bottom tier. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. That that's one of the reasons why we want to do this episode. Uh, along with Frances McDormand kind of, you know, her movies coming out this weekend, you know, Nomadland. And we, we feel like connecting things all the time on this podcast and trying to, trying to like highlight stuff at the right time. And I, I think it was, I think it was cool that we got to talk not only about Franny, but talk about the Coens, you know, uh, uber, uber important to our fandom and just the kind of the American cinema landscape. Uber important to our friendship. One of the first things we ever talked about was the Coen brothers. That's what really like made us realize, oh, this guy gets it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, uh, you kind of have seen a huge chunk of them or you haven't, you're, or you don't know what you're talking about. Cause they're, they're, they're addicting. They're, they're guys who ha- we talk about style all the time. And when you lack style, I'm like, I'm out. Like I want, I want distinct. I want to know who made it. I want to know whose touch is on it. And the Coens, you, you, you know where you're at. And one, one of the main reasons you know where you're at is because of Mr. Roger Deakins. Oh, take it away. <laughs> Roger Deakins, uh, you know, is working as the cinematographer on Fargo. Uh, we have our best scene award named after Roger Deakins. Uh, we could have chosen a director there, but we wanted to choose Roger Deakins because I don't think cinematography gets nearly enough credit in the, uh, you know, the just like, you know, normal conversations about movies. It might be a big fun word for people to use when they want to know what they sound like, want (laughs) want to act like they know what they're talking about. But uh, it is, it is uber, uber, uber important to what we are seeing, you know, from the other side, you know, they're taking into account a lot of things that are happening. And Roger Deakins is a guy who works a lot in nature, works outside a lot. Uh, he's not only a guy who's worked at the Coens a shit ton, but he's also done something recently like 1917 <laughs> or Skyfall or three billboards out, outside of Missouri or Blade Runner, you know, like this guy's, this guy has uh, been in the game for a long time has, I, I think it's almost, almost, I think it's 19 Oscar nominations. I'll look it up to get proper, but it, he's, he's a legend when it comes to cinematography and he's clearly buddies with the Coens cause they, I, it's it's daunting how many movies they've worked on together oh yeah it's it's insane it's uh he's got this very signature style that he brings to his films he's kind of like the i'd say he's probably the most respected uh, cinematographer in hollywood he's even people who don't really know about cinematography they know the name roger deakins and it's kind of crazy that it took him almost his entire career to finally get an oscar win with blade runner uh 2049 and then he got another one with 1917 is who was gonna who was gonna beat him for 1917. I mean, good God, that movie's all cinematography. But um, yeah. yeah, I love the guy. I, I think he's incredibly talented. I love that he can bring, you combine his eye with the Cohen's words and you've got an incredible motion picture. I, yeah, nothing but respect. Yeah, yeah, he's, he. it's 15. <laughs> he's been nominated 15 times for best cinematography and yeah, won twice like you brought up Blade Runner in 1917. Uh, yeah, these 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 are the people that we kind of before we even started Oscar Sunday, we were like, we want to talk about these kinds of people. Yeah, we we not, not only do we want to talk about you know the the faces of the game, the Leonardo DiCaprio's, the Brad Pitts, 
but we, we want to talk about Roger Deakins, a, a name that clearly people have heard of, but don't, don't know exactly what he, what exactly it is that he does or all the movies that he's worked on. It's, it's pretty baffling. You know, he's been up for a bunch of BAFTAs, a bunch of independent spirit awards, golden globes, just every, everything, you know, he has, he has like a, just a whole fucking cabinet of this shit, you know? It's it's not only the Oscars that 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 thinks that way. It's it's pretty much any award organization or, around the world that pays attention to movies. Roger Deakins has a nomination there. <laughs> he's he's that kind of a cat. Do you think that there's a Cohen film that you were like that was the perfect mashup of Deakins and Cohen's? Do you think that there's a signature movie in the in the filmography because there's so many? But do you think there's one that stands out? I do. And honestly, I think it's Fargo. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> I think that he like, he captures this isolation, like uh, almost like this whole story takes place in this weird upper Midwest bubble. And it makes it feel like I, br- I bring it up in my uh, awards. Like, like it's a fairy tale told in the Midwest. And I think Deacons is the reason behind that. It's, it's perfect. It's a perfect, you know, artist and medium matchup. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I think that's one of the things watching it this time around and seeking out things to have to find, you know, to give awards out. I, it made me watch this movie in a totally different light. And I've always been kind of like, oh, it's overrated. Fargo's overrated. No, it's not. I was wrong. I was dead wrong. Uh for the longest time, I would have given this movie an eight, and that's just that's just silly. That's my own bias. I think it's definitely a nine, if not a ten. It's it. There's there's not one second of it that doesn't make sense, that doesn't add up, that doesn't just entertain you or make you laugh or make you cringe a little bit. It's 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 a it's brilliant filmmaking, and Deacons clearly has a touch from the get go, in the snow with the car, the trees, every little thing is oh there's a guy who clearly knows what he's doing, you know, with natural lighting right away, right away. And it doesn't let up the rest of the time. Even, even the simple shots inside the bar of, of, you know, Carl Showalter saying like, I'm not, I'm not going to debate you <laughs> like, that the decisions are all there. They're being made and they're good ass decisions. And I, I, I love that. We both kind of saw that <laughs> watching Fargo this time around is like, Oh, wow. Like, Everything behind the camera is working on all cylinders. That's been my favorite thing about Oscar Sunday is it has opened my eyes and made me view these films in a completely different mindset in a way that Filmgasm and Sneak Preview really haven't done. This podcast has kind of forced me to appreciate things a lot harder. And I'm, I love that to death. I'm seeing these like films I've seen a hundred times. I feel like I'm seeing them for the first time. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I- I think that this show has allowed us to do that with movies that we're rewatching and then really fucking pay attention to movies we're watching for the first time. Yes. You know, with Gaslight, feel real strong about that one. Feel really strongly. It was my first time seeing it. When I gave out those awards, I still remember them. I remember, you know, I know exactly the moments, you know, that blew me away. I know how, you know, Boye was just kind of like a mind boggling performer in that movie. And, it's kind of because of the, you know, this, this little exercise that we do with the awards, which we're, we're about to get into here. It, it, al- it allows us and forces us to, to just to make a decision and figure it out. And by doing that, 
with a movie like Fargo, you start listing, oh shit, there's like six people here that could win the PSH. Yeah. Oh, f- fuck. And you kind of, you start thinking, what does the PSH mean to me? <laughs> and what, what does it mean for this movie? And I, I love asking myself those questions. And we, yeah, we got it. Got a barn burner here. Uh, Fargo is this is this is going to be one of the most fun ones for both of us, I think, to give award, awards out to. You know, um, and I think it, I, I think it feels right after talking about Roger Deakins to go ahead and get into him. What do you think? Well, I think first we should talk about the Oscars that Fargo actually got nominated for. Oh, the you, you want to talk about the uh, you know because we of course Cohen's got the dub and McDormand got the dub, but there are five other nominations. Yeah, just to kind of. Of course, of course. Them. We're kind of, we're, we're not really well-versed in the 96 Oscars. It's uh, true. a lot of those films we just have not seen yet. So I think going through them the way we usually do wouldn't be very you know, fun because we don't really have much to talk about on that front. But I think showcasing exactly what Fargo was up for, we should do that. Uh, hell yeah. Yeah, there's because there, there's five others. Yeah, I mean, seven total nominations is a, is a good handful. Yeah. So obviously it won for best original screenplay for the Coens and best actress for Frances McDormand was also up for best film editing for the Coens under their alias, Roderick Janes. I love that they do that. (laughs) (laughs) Best cinematography for Roger Deakins, best director for Joel Cohen, best supporting actor for William H. Macy as Jerry Lundergaard. Oh, heck you mean. (laughs) And best picture. So William H. Macy uh, this is his only nomination. He's a character actor who just feels like he's been there forever. Always gives it. And he's such a shit in this movie. Jerry Lundegaard is such a bad person. <laughs> My God. It's such a great performance. Uh, I think Buscemi should have been up for something. I think he's amazing in this film. Incredible. Yeah. The fact he's never been up for anything is fucking criminal. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a solid cast. A great bunch of... of nominations and i got to see the rest of these films just so i can know what exactly did fargo lose to yeah i I know exactly what you mean and you know speaking for for for, you know both of us really is that we we want that perspective before we exactly say say anything especially these more recent years like the 90s 2000s 2010s we know that it's gonna be hard to watch all of the nominated movies from like the 40s but these these are accessible these we can get to and we will get to one day, which is why an English patient episode, Best Picture Showdown, will, will allow us to do that. Absolutely. Without further ado, let's give some awards to Fargo. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, man. We have the Tarantino, best line, best quote. Uh, we have the Ennio Morricone for best music moment uh, or best needle drop, whatever, whatever you really want as far as sound goes, music goes. Then we have uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for best performance. And we have the Roger Deakins Award for best scene or best moment of the movie. So take it away, Connor. Okay. So my Tarantino. This Oscar-winning screenplay here. <laughs> this was inc- impossible. This <laughs> took me the whole yeah. damn movie. I was like, I don't know. And it's the Coens. Like, how do you say what is the best Cohen line in a film? I mean, it's all gold. I don't know how you do that. So, but it finally got one. It's when Marge finally catches up with, uh, with uh, Gare and arrests him and has him in the car. And she starts kind of piecing together exactly what happened. And here's her little speech. So that was Mrs. Lendegaard on the floor in there. And I guess that was your accomplice in the wood chipper. And those three people in Brainerd. And for what? For a little bit of money? There's more to life than a little money, you know. Don't you know that? And here you are. And it's a beautiful day. Well, I just don't understand it. Perfect. 
a small cop, you know, in a, with a big murder, like, yeah, of course it'd be like, why, why'd you do this? It's life's great. Why would you want to do something like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. In, in Brainerd, I love, yeah, I love every little piece of decision-making Francis McDormand's making for that voice, for that accent. That's perfect. It's, it's flawless. It really is. Truly. Yeah. That's a, that's a excellent choice. And I, I also went with a little bit of like a, you know, it's a little paragraph here, but it's a, it's when you have officer Olson visiting Mr. Mora who's shoveling, shoveling his, his, uh, his driveway. He's trying to figure some stuff out, do some detective work. So he's going to go talk to this, talk to this guy who made a call. And Mr. Mora says, so, you know, he's drinking. So I don't think a whole great deal of it, but Mrs. Mora, heard about the homicides down here last week and she thought I should call it in. So I called it in. End of story. <laughs> oh man. And then the, the cops just like, all right, thanks for calling it in. And then, you know, the, the scene ends and that's, that's, that's how simple and easily this movie moves. Every scene, every scene, the dialogue is like, all right, all right. Sounds good. <laughs> because I love that, you know, with cop movies, a lot of them are very much like it's always like the NYPD or something like, you know, get there right now. We don't know what's going on. But and it's it's the, you know, Brainerd, Minnesota local PD. So, of course, they're going to be like, oh, how's it going? Oh, well, I guess you, you know what you got there. Like, that's how they would. T- that's how they'd handle a situation like this. It'd be like, oh, thanks for telling me that. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, yeah. I love that. They captured like local law mentality, small, small town cop. So perfectly. It's great because, yeah, that that scene is, you know. Mr. Morris is talking about uh, Carl, you know, being at the bar and talking about, oh, he's talking about how he's going crazy up there at the lake and needs some action. And I say, what kind of action? He says, woman action. <laughs> like, what do I look like? <laughs> you know, that all of that is like, that would only happen here in a small town. And when they, when it happens in New York or LA and those movies, it doesn't make any sense because the wife is like, Hey, there are these murders, these homicides, and there is a, you know, kind of funny looking guy, creepy guy. We should call it in. That typically wouldn't happen unless it was a small town. So yeah. capt- capturing that essence is, it, it is what Fargo is. And why someone like Noah Hawley is like, I'm going to fucking make a show out of this and stretch it and stretch it and stretch it because it's so much fun to make entertainment in this way. Yeah, I've lived in small towns all my life. And you, re- you know, you, rem- you remember, ugh, sorry. You remember faces, you recognize people. And when you see somebody you don't recognize, you, you start thinking like, why are they here? Like, yeah, there's gotta be exactly. a reason. And when there's murders happening, you're going to connect those things. It just makes sense. The Coens understand human behavior. Like, yeah. Great. Yeah. I, I love, I love that aspect of this movie. Oh, hell yeah, man. <laughs> What's All your, right. yeah. Moving it, on. And your Morricone. Yeah. I'll, I'll do, I'll do mine. Mine's, mine's pretty, pretty basic. Uh, Cause I, I just couldn't avoid it. Carter Burwell uh, composed this just spectacular score. And a guy who's also been involved with the Coens through many, many movies since the beginning. And, yeah. And this is a, this is a famous, you know, I, I chose the Fargo, Fargo, North Dakota, the theme song, basically the, the intro. That's what I chose for my Inyo. It's just breathtaking. It's, I know exactly what it is when I hear it. It has the same power as like the Jurassic Park, you know, theme song. It has that same power in my mind. And I know exactly where I'm going to be. And it reminds me of the TV show. It reminds me of all those characters and everything that it influences. And I I love when something can do that. I picked the same scene for the very same reasons. It's 
an incredible score. It sucks me in immediately. It makes me think like, you know, I get the, like a once upon a time in, you know, Fargo, North Dakota kind of vibe. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And with the, with the touch of, you know, t- this is a true story, <laughs> you know, the events happened in 1987 in Minnesota. It's, it's spectacular. And with that score behind it, with Roger Deakins touch, and then you get into the screenplay that the Coens provide. It's like, it's all perfect. It is. Yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely. Car- Carter Burwell, man. Uh, uh, that's another name that, you know, this does not get enough pre- credit. It, you could, you could say that Deakins and Burwell are the two most important individuals in the Coens career. Yeah. You, you could really, say that it's, you know, it's a team effort it takes a village. And you got to have the right people in every corner. And God knows the Coens have found the right people. I mean, from the beginning, you know, Carter Burwell, like one of their film school roommates or something. And he did the score for Blood Simple. And that's still to date my favorite score that he's done for them. Oh, so good. That's that's a well, that's a huge question. Because, yeah, it, there's so many, so many, you know, scores that he's composed for their movies alone that are that are wonderful. But I. Blood Simple, that's what stands out most about that movie is, is, the, is the, the music. Jesus. <laughs> it, it, it almost, you know, it drags the film out of crime thriller and into horror almost. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> but yeah, Fargo is no slouch. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I love it. I love, I love the, uh, what's his name? Russo, um, the guy who does the music for the TV show. He totally gets it. He totally understands and is like, I'm not going to try to be too cute here. I'm going to pay homage to the show, to the movie. Awesome. Uh, when the percussion hits, when you got, when you got the equivalent of Carl uh, coming in uh, as Adam Goldberg. So cool. <laughs> so cool. I love that. I love that. The, the Philip Seymour Hoffman award. This is always interesting. Yeah. I, I feel like it's probably going to be different again. <laughs> I don't know. I have a feeling we're treading in the same direction here. I mean, it's to me, it was unavoidable. It's Francis McDormand. I, I thought so. I thought so, but, but I, I went with, uh, I went with crazy eyes. <laughs> Steve, Steve Buscemi uh, wow. as Carl Show as Carl Showalter. I I ended up giving the the PSH to him. I do think it's a bit silly because we did this whole kind of episode <laughs> based around Franny and she won the Oscar. But I within the movie with within this film, like my favorite and the most valuable performance to me is is Carl is is what Steve's doing as Carl. He he's kind of kind of scary, kind of creepy, wicked entertaining. He's like, get me into the ozone, baby, you know, hitting the TV, like, and then he's, you know, just shoots Wade in the fucking chest with like no hesitation. I, this guy is bonkers, bonkers crazy. And I don't know exactly why he is the way he is. And Steve Buscemi does that, does, does this character so much justice. Yeah. No arguments here. It, it's really hard to find a, a, you know, top dog in this movie. They are all so good. William H. Macy. Fuck. And it really just came down to, I love Marge Gunderson as a character. I, me too. I love that our hero in this movie is a pregnant cop who is an amazing detective solves this whole thing, almost single-handedly with this like small town, upbeat optimism the whole time. And just, you know, ends up, you know, put like pulling a gun on Peter Stormare as he's shoving a leg into a wood chipper. Like to stumble upon that and then arrest the guy after shooting him in the leg. She's a badass. And her relationship with, you know, John Carroll Lynch is having such a oh. nice, solid relationship during all this. 
I love, I want I want that, you know? I think I said this in the Coen Brothers episode on the Film Guys and Podcast. Like, I want to have that kind of relationship when I'm in my 40s. Norm and Marge are yeah. definitely, you know, are definitely, you know, the relationship goals, right? Yes, <laughs> the gold that's standard. A, that's what people say these days, right? That's, I, I, I totally agree. The scenes with Norm are, like, so heartwarming. Uh, Norm, I'm going to turn in. Okay. <laughs> hey, Norm, Norm, the prowler needs a jump. You know, just... I'll make you a breakfast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, and and he, he he brings her brings her lunch. You know, brings her Arby's while she's at while she's working, and and she brings she's in Nightcrawlers. It's a good relationship. There, it's so cool. Yeah, and she's awesome, and she's a great hero to to get behind. And I love when she's just you know she got Jerry Lundergaard by the balls in his office, and he knows it. Like it's a great character. I, it's one of my favorite Cohen characters they've ever written. Is Mark Anderson. It could be the I, I've read a lot of uh, lists, you know, of like best Cohen characters of all time, and I see her right at the top, uh, pretty much every time, and I, I totally understand why. I, I love the decision to not bring her into the movie until like over twenty minutes in. Yeah. I love love that decision because when she comes onto the scene, that's the first time we see her having breakfast, and you know she's pregnant, and yet the prowler needs a jump. That's like the first time. It, it's a total break in the movie. We've seen some kind of wacky, weird, dark shit, and then. And then, bam! Like you said, the the small town upbeat optimism—that's perfect. <laughs> Even when she's got a like monstrous killer in the back seat, she's like, "Now, why would you want to go and do a thing like this?" <laughs> it's just, how do you not root for somebody like that? <laughs> how do you how do you how do you not root for Carl, who's like, "Hey, chef, what are you doing? I was banging that girl." <laughs> Driving to open the fucking gate, like his face bleeding. <laughs> It's, it's perfect everything yeah oh man you feel like a fucking authority figure here's your change you piece of shit <laughs> fucking he's brutal yeah the the getting shot right in the face you shot me <laughs> he's he's so damn funny and the fact that the last time we see him is his leg being pushed into wood chipper is, is perfect yeah it's oh god there's so this movie is so off the wall it's I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a Coen Brothers movie. It's the only way you can describe it. Yeah, it's it's a purebred Coen. Yeah, <laughs> so good. With that, what is your Roger Deakins? Oh man, this is this is pretty tough here. I actually I just brought up that Francis McDormand doesn't show up for twenty minutes. It's actually thirty minutes because I had it written down right here, and the scene right before she shows up. Is is when Carl and his buddy, uh, you know Peter Stormare, they're they commit three murders. One yeah. one one that's a cop, you know, in Brainerd. Uh, that scene is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, when they get pulled over, I would say from when they get pulled over to Peter Stormare, you know, putting putting last shot in that girl in the car. That that is some of the best stuff I've like ever seen in any thriller ever, especially when Steve Buscemi is pulling the cop's body into the snow and the people drive by and Peter Stormare is like, uh-uh. And, and just, just fucking, like, he just fucking whips that car and starts, you know, speeding up towards him and uh, puts the cigarette, he puts his cigarette out, which he hasn't done the entire time. He's been smoking the whole movie. He finally put, he's like, I'm fucking serious. And it's, he, he like goes into execution mode and it's scary super entertaining because you have Carl. I thought we could just take care of it here in Brainerd. (laughs) 
and, and then yeah, Pierce Stormare shoots him in the in the head, and it's just like this wicked, wicked dark, wicked funny stuff happening at the same time. And it's like you you like it, you like it, or you don't. And I I don't know what it is about me, but like I'm I'm one of those people. You know, obviously they have a lot of fans. I really connect with that that stuff in their movies when it gets kind of kind of nasty, it gets you know gets to the edge. That's like my favorite Cohen stuff. Oh, right here too, man. It's it's somewhere. It's it's stuff you know you're never gonna see any other filmmaker do. Is this weird mixture of humor and horror that the Coens always somehow manage to put in their films? It's it's cool. It's weird and it's pure them. One thing I like, for example. My grandmother, I've talked about her a lot on these podcasts, is how much she hates horror movies. She's not a fan of violence. She doesn't like, you know, grisly stuff in a movie. Fargo is one of her favorite films. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, it breaks all of that. It breaks all those yeah. barriers and just, and it, it doesn't allow itself to succumb to the stigmas or like the, or, or, you know, sometimes they're not stigmas. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes like the reason she likes it is because it is a Cohen movie because it's fucking good. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it knows how to balance itself. Yeah, I love that. I love when I hear stuff like that. <laughs> and my, my Deacons is right up there. And it is the scene where Marge stumbles onto Peter Stormare just shoving a body into a wood chipper. And the look that comes on her face of like, I have never seen anything like this before. And I have to handle it. You know, she yeah. pulls her gun. She's like, you can see the tremble. Like, am I going to pull this off? And then she, you know, shoots him in the back of the leg and throws him in the squad car. It's, it's great. Like that whole bit from just him with a piece of wood shoving the leg into the wood chipper, the gore coming out the back. Like, it's just so freakish. But because of the Coen brothers, because of everything you've seen thus far, you can't help but chuckle a little. It's so weird. They like condition you from the beginning to be like, buckle the fuck up. This is not, it's unlike anything you're ever, you're, you're going to see by anybody else. And once mm-hmm. you come to terms with that, you'll laugh at anything. You'll, you know, you'll freak out at anything. It's the Coen brothers have the ability to literally rewire your mind and make you realize you're watching something completely different. It's amazing. Yes. Very few filmmakers can do that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. We're we've, we've spoken a lot about the consistency. It's, it's obviously there. Oh man. That, that last scene could not be any more just perfect. A perfect cap off yeah. like to a movie from- that to a movie that I just didn't realize was perfect until this time. This is like my 20th time seeing this movie, and I just now realize how damn good it is. From Geyer just walking out of the shed or out of the cabin with a fucking axe and just going at Buscemi with one swing, you're like, fuck, <laughs> what is this now? And it's yeah. It's, there's so many great moments of this movie where you're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Brilliant. You bet. Brilliant. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, I'm going to bed now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love I love when William H. Macy comes home that, that night and, and uh, uh, what's his son's name? Uh, Scotty. Scotty. Yeah, Gene and Scotty. This will be real good for us. I love when he's like, uh, Scotty's like, Stan Grossman called two times. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to bed now. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's you better go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, they said man. no cops. This is my deal here. <laughs> now, I do, I do have one question for you. And maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe it's obvious. Maybe I just missed something uh, okay. after seeing it so many times. So obviously, 
uh, Jerry, you know, flees and goes to that hotel and that's where they arrest him. Where is Scotty during that time? I wondered that myself. I don't know. I McDonald McDonald's the whole time. Yeah, maybe (laughs) for all Jerry knows he because 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 grandpa's dead. Mom's, you know, mom's not there and and dad and dad's not there. So I wonder. Yeah, I wonder what he did. I don't know. Ward of the state, maybe, or maybe Stan Grossman's raising him now. That's I, I'm not not even not even now what happened to Scotty. I was thinking about like in that moment while while Jerry's getting arrested. I'm like, wait, where did he leave his kid? Like, did he leave him with somebody? I hope so. I hope he left him with Stan Grossman. I doubt it. Jerry is a, is a selfish bastard the whole time. I doubt he had plans for his son. I mean, a man who's willing to organize a kidnapping scheme on his own wife is not exactly thinking about his family's well being. And. How much does he remind you of whiz kid Donnie Smith on Magnolia? <laughs> a man, a man in debt. <laughs> this is whiz kid Donnie Smith. Like after, you know, the book signings stopped after they, like, this is, you know, rich grandpa or rich father-in-law working as a car, you know, underappreciated car, uh, carb salesman. Uh, <laughs> we can get you that true coat, hundred dollars uh, off. You fucking liar. <laughs> I love that scene so much. I'll talk to my uh, boss. He's never done this before, but I'll talk to my like, God. These guys, these guys. <laughs> I love that guy. That customer is fantastic. <laughs> oh, he's man. He's signing yeah. the lease and Jerry's just looking down like a kid who got yelled at. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love when he initially goes to his boss and he's like, you going to the Gophers on Sunday? <laughs> You kidding? <laughs> oh, like fucking. Oh, my God. You have an extra ticket? Yeah, it's just, there's there's so many wonderful moments, whether it be the screenplay or the performances or the directing or the cinematography or the music. It's it's uh, it, I understand why it has all the acclaim it does. It's special. It's very special. And I have had it at an eight for God knows how long. I'm going to bump it up to a nine as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. I had it as an eight for, for way too long, you know, and and I, I know you and I. We do we do take our personal feelings about it into account because that's that's what the rating is almost there for. Yeah. But we also we also with time understand that rewatching stuff and kind of reshaping an opinion is is possible and is definitely going to happen. Uh, and with Fargo, it's like we went from liking it to loving it, yeah. and that's really special. That's really special. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. It's great. Anytime I can you know further appreciate a Coen Brothers movie, it's a good day. Oh yeah. I mean, so if you, speaking of, that's a great conversation. What would be on the top of your list of Coen brothers movies that you need to rewatch where you're like, Oh, I, I kind of need to get a new uh, perspective on. Um, serious man is there. Um, intolerable cruelty. I'd like to watch again. Okay. Uh, I know I don't really want to, but I probably should hail Caesar. I, I probably do have to watch that again. And then Buster Scruggs. Cause I liked it a lot. And I know that if I watch it again, I'm going to really like it even more. Same, same. Yeah, I, I definitely want to give that one maybe a little bit longer to breathe, and then I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna tackle it again. Oh yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I think Hill Caesar is one that I need to go at another time, give it another go, uh, because I hear some people that I really look up to in the movie world and on podcast and, and whatnot and writing really love that movie, and I want to know why. I want, I want to know a little bit why. It doesn't mean I need to love it, but I want to know. I want to get more perspective. There's got to be something that I missed. Or, or, or maybe, 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 maybe they're wrong. You know, it's, I love that. I love that about 
giving the art another chance because it's 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 up on the block you know and your your opinion matters at that point when you see it multiple times and you have that perspective i think it matters at that point yeah you combine filmgasm oscar sunday and the sneak preview we're nearly 200 episodes in on these podcasts so we have i think what we have to say is significant at this point (laughs) we're trying we're trying our best right that's 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 the goal and i think i think next week is going to push us hard what are we doing next week Oh man, I've been I've been waiting to see this movie for a long, long time, Connor. It's uh, John Cassavetes, 1968, Faces. Oh boy, <laughs> I can't I can't wait to see this movie. It was up for three three Oscars at the 40, 41st Academy Awards. Uh, didn't win anything, but as time has gone on, people look at this movie in a very, very special way, and I'm hoping to become a part of that crew. Uh, like like we were just talking about when we put these movies up and we have to pick awards out for them it, it makes you take it really seriously and i cannot wait to finally see this movie um i've recently kind of gotten into gotten into john cassavetes and like a woman under the influence is like something i i see as a masterpiece and i always if i see something like that that's old i want to know what else that guy did and the, you know, the first time I heard about him was Rosemary's baby, you know, and I saw him as a performer and I was like, Oh, this guy can direct too. Yeah. I got to see what else he can do. Uh, in this case, he's directing and acting. And I, I, I just cannot wait to watch this man. I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. I have not tapped into Cassavetes at all beyond uh, his performances in Rosemary's baby and the dirty dozen. So yeah. I don't really know him as a director in the slightest. So this is completely uncharted territory for me. It's, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Going to 1968, going to the 41st Academy Awards and, and going into John Cassavetti's mind, a guy that has uh, kind of gained more and more respect as time has gone on, as he's, as he's been away from, you know, working and, and being here with us. Uh, he's only gotten more respect in the movie culture. Oh, hell yeah. And, you know, digging into people, individuals on this show is always a blast and uh, it'll be great talking about Cassavetti's. I'll probably, yeah. you know, put some other films of his on my list just so I have some background knowledge. And uh, yeah, tune in next Sunday for that. Uh, this Wednesday on the Filmgasm podcast, Julie and I are doing The Sixth Sense. Look, looking forward to that. And then on uh, on Monday, tomorrow, uh, we'll be talking Nomadland. A little more, little more uh, Frances McDormand for you. Why not? Because she's she's one of the best, man. I, I, I cannot wait to watch that movie and talk about it uh, for Monday's episode. Yeah, me too, man. God, I'm, I love that we have this back. I was really worried because of everything that went down. Like our whole fucking schedule was going to be just crushed. But nope, we found our way back. We're here. Yeah, we're here. We're going to keep rolling. Uh, you know, like you said, Nomadland's coming up, Filmgasm. And we'll just keep rolling with uh, with all these shows. And, of course, the uh, the Google guys are coming on March 5th. And we're just, yeah, we're just going to, this this train uh, is not going to stop. You know, uh, no matter what's happened. There was one time you were in Colombia. We still figured that shit out. Uh, there's been times though I've traveled and we figured that shit out. We've gone through this stupid winter storm that our state was not prepared for and we got through it. So get a snow, <laughs> I'm, con- I'm ice, confident. A snow and an ice storm wiped out Texas's power grid and our episode was only delayed by two days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I stop the filmgasm team. We will always have content coming. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Fellow Texans, stay safe, stay warm, stay sane. We're going to get through this together. Uh, Keep watching movies. Peace.